0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m.
1: But back to salvation and back to being saved. I, I like these themes and I like this idea because that's what Jesus is doing in the world and I pay attention to where else people are talking about being saved. Talking about hope, talking about uh, conquering death might be the most extravagant way you could say it, but really defeating oppression. So, w- one year from today, I think we'll have uh, it'll be the Iowa caucus, if if you know if you know what that means. So the the uh, for for the 2020 uh, presidential election. So something's happening, right? And I it, I I've never ceased. Um, Really, to be surprised at how early presidential candidates announce their, uh, I guess, candidacy, and how the media just gobbles it up. And I might be one of the gobblers, too, because I pay attention to it. We're going to be talking about, at least some of us, will be talking about these folks and some more for the next two years, basically. So these, these are some of the people that want to run the country. Um, and, 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 and some of you avoid this effectively, and, and, maybe, and maybe I'm messing up your discipline, because now you have to look up who Howard Schultz is. Um, you don't have to, though. What's that? No, I don't, I don't mind. Um, so it can be exhausting, really. Some of you will effectively mute it. And others of us will watch it closely, and we've been like watching it closely since like 2016, for some reason, right? We've been really uh, amped up in, this, uh, in, in, in what could happen. But for Maybe me, when I'm observing that race, race or the, the, the competition, I, don't, I don't, don't just, although I do see this, I don't just see self-interested, egotistical politicians, um, necessarily. For me, when I'm, a, when, 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 when I'm seeing this, so no matter what side of the aisle they're on, I think they're, they're finding a problem, they want to make a difference, they want to instill hope, they want to change the world, and that's probably the most positive image I can paint of them, you know, to, to, to put some, some more uh, le- uh, theological language around it, there's a sense of salvation you know, they might even see themselves as messiahs of sorts. This is really overstating it, but I, I, have, a, I have a keen sensitivity to this kind of thing because I, 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 I kind of focus on those salvific overtones in the campaigns, not just to combat what I think is national worship and civil religion, right, which I kind of feel some kind of way about as an Anabaptist, these old uh, peaceful farmers that gave us uh, the theology that we have. Not just because I resist those that, that that kind of political apparatus in general, or not just because I ask my uh, the kindergarten teacher why my kid does the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, why did you make her a state worshipper, without asking me? You know, I don't. I, that's not just the reason I notice the uh, overtones of salvation um, and uh, and messiahship in these candidacies, but also because it reveals desire. And I think Christians want to understand the desire that we've been given. The desire of the world and how Jesus indeed ultimately fulfills it. So I want us to do a little study of a campaign video. We're gonna watch it just two minutes long and then we're gonna talk about what sort of themes and ideas are coming out from it and what it means for us. This isn't necessarily a political discussion. It's about the desire that they're tapping into in the world the problem they're identifying and how that how that's working out will you will will you indulge me please all right here's here's Cory Booker in
2: America we have a common pain but what we're lacking is a sense of common purpose What's up? I grew up knowing that the only way we can make change is when people come together. When I was a baby, my parents tried to move us into a neighborhood with great public schools, but realtors wouldn't sell us a home because of the color of our skin. A group of white lawyers who watched the courage of civil rights activists were inspired to help black families in their own community, including mine. And they changed the course of my entire life. Because in America, courage is contagious. My dad told me, boy, never forget where you came from or how many people had to sacrifice to get you where you are. So over 20 years ago, I moved to the Central ward of Newark to fight lords and help families stay in their homes. I still live there today. I'm the only senator who was home to a low-income inner-city community, the first community that took a chance on me. We are better when we help each other. The history of our nation is defined by collective action, by interwoven destinies of slaves, abolitionists, of those born here, and those who chose America as home, those who took up arms to defend our country, and those who linked arms to challenge and change it. I believe that we can build a country where no one is forgotten, no one is left behind. Where parents can put food on the table for their good-paying jobs with good benefits to every neighbor. Where our criminal justice system keeps us safe instead of shuffling more children into cages and coffins. Where we see the faces of our leaders on television and feel pride, not shame. It is not a matter of handling. It's a matter of do we have the collective will, the American will, I believe we do. Together, we will channel our common pain back into our common purpose. Together, America, we will rise. I'm Cory Booker. I'm running for president of the United States of
1: America. There's Cory Booker. You guys want to talk about that? Will you, can you give some feedback right now, a little talk back now? What are you picking up on? What are the themes? What's the idea? What's he selling you? What's happening? You know, some of us will, yeah, just, just be who you are in the moment. Let's let's get some feedback. Wes? I was surprised you said we have a common pain, because uh, I actually did not experience that. Because you don't think our pain is in common. No, but the big story coming out of 2016, logic seemed to be that we're so
2: fractured.
1: Say more. Thank you, Wes, that was good. Other ideas, thoughts, what are you hearing? What are you picking up on?
0: And shocking to the uh, the rulers and the elite. I think that his message is with, is showing it that it's inclusive. It's claiming to be inclusive, but it but in some ways that that the that uh, there are folks who will not. So you don't you don't yeah. you don't buy it, and well, it. I mean,
1: a lot of idealism. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, that, that's the thing I'm picking up on too. Caroline.
0: Uh, it was interesting not seeing it twice tonight. Um, oh boy. No, it's, it was good because when I, the first time I saw it, I really connected with what John was saying at 5 o'clock was that the emotion of it is so engaging and appealing like you know, the drums
1: and the you know the hugging and what's up on the street. Amen, and, he said. Yeah, What's, yeah, what's interesting to me is that, yes, there is a sense of hope that he's tapping into, yeah. even if we're cynical about, you know, he didn't talk about policy at all, right? He's not, he's not really doing that. And I have an opinion about all that stuff, too. But, but the message is um, hopeful, and that's appealing to us. And I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you should tamp that down just because, you know, it's Washington, right? Like, we, we have that desire for a reason, and I think God fulfills it. Um, not Cory Booker.
0: Yeah, I think I think picking up on like some of the the basic kind of maybe assumption or hope is that there is a political will that can end suffering.
1: An American will, isn't that what he said?
0: Yeah, and that there is a there is a trajectory that politics can move us on that's
2: forward that solves Absolutely. Problems, problems instead of creating problems. So the world is
1: yeah, and, and our political apparatus can get us there, you know. Vote for me, we will rise, that's what he said, which is really like, yeah, you really are sounding like Jesus. What are you talking, like, it was not even that subtle. <laughs> Any more? Um, he was like playing into a little bit of like the underdog story too, which our culture loves. Humble beginnings, right? Yeah. Grew up in a, the central ward of Newark. And I'm, and I'm the only senator that still goes back to that. Not like Harris or Warren, is really like the, the, the subtweet happening there. So he's already getting a little feisty. Any more? Cool, thanks for engaging. Um, I don't care much about Cory Booker, uh, personally. Um, but again, I'm struck by this tone of salvation, hope, a new start, something new is happening. And I'm interested in that, um, especially, like I just said, the slogan, we will rise. What's he talking about? What does this mean? Because I'm into resurrection, so, so, so what, what are we working with? Uh, we want something new. We want someone to save us. We want the world to change. And I think that's the motivation of most political campaign advertisements. And I think that positive message is exactly what people want. You know, and I like the positive ad. I'm glad we're not at the smear campaign yet, where it's very negative and toxic. I don't like that. That is not uplifting for most people. You know, and, 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 and we'll be there in a year. Don't you worry. So the, the worst is yet to come. Um, but right now, this hopeful, idealistic message can be uh, comforting to us. Um, and it piques my interest, because I, and I'm not trying to be cute about this. I really think Jesus brings the ultimate message of hope to the world. And... Jesus is turning the whole world upside down. You know, My vantage point is, if you, you, know, if you liked Cory Booker, wait till you meet Jesus. There's, now here, here's a real message of hope for you um, that, that has impacted me, that won't fail, that isn't um, caught up in some uh, political gridlock or something like that. Like, e- e- even the cynical can be saved. Um, and, and he's turning the world upside down and with us, the good news, Jesus' incarnation, God with us, inaugurates a new era for humanity and for the world, and it ushers in a whole new way of doing things, a new way of knowing things, a new way of thinking things, right? A new way of saying things. Jesus' salvation is a personal. It's for you, and it's global. It's cosmic. It's for the whole world. For you as an individual, and for the world as a whole. It's for all people. It's for, it's for all creation. Right? Extend it as far as it can go without losing how personally um, touching it is for you. It brings a whole new reality to the world. And I think that message of newness and hope is something that we desire. And I don't want the, the, I don't want the politicians to just make you cynical about this. And I don't want them to monopolize the hope themselves. I think that when they they, they tap into this unconsciously and consciously, you know, I don't think his campaign team is reading the New Testament to come up with their campaign ad or something like that. I I, I doubt it for some reason. Um, But there's something in us that I think they're getting to that God gave us. Their appeal to us tells us something even about our own desire. And when we get in touch with our desire, we can begin to see how we actually fulfill it and how God fulfills it. I think God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus, does that very thing, fulfills our desire for a new world in a new way, and then employs us in enacting it. So the writer of the Gospel of John is talking about this. And he gives us a prologue really amazing prologue where he talks about the Lagos, the Word of God, creating the world, the cosmos, then coming into the neighborhood, into the, into the flesh, right where we are. And then John will go on and show us how Jesus calls out these disciples, even just by seeing them. And then by John 2, he's, he's at a wedding at Cana, and he turns water into wine, He takes ceremonial washing jars filled with water and turns it into wine, changes the whole party. Something new is happening there. And I wish we had the time to walk through the whole thing, you know, slowly together. We don't. So that's all you'll get from uh, the wedding at Cana. Um, I want to focus on the second half of the chapter. Here we have the cleansing of the temple, the clearing of the temple, a powerful demonstration of Jesus's authority and his intention to change the whole world. Some of you know we have a similar story in what we call the Synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in the Synoptic Gospels, this story is placed at the end of, the, the of Jesus' life. And if you stick around with us during Lent, we'll walk with Jesus towards the grave. It starts uh, February, uh, March 8th, I believe. And by the end of it, we're at Holy Week. We're waiting for the end to come. And then Jesus clears the temple again, right, in Mark. So Mark is placing it at the end of Jesus' time, kind of as, the, as one of his final moments. But John sets it at the beginning of his ministry, and if that kind of uh, gives you some turbul- turbulence in your, in your heart because you're not sure when things happened and if the Gospels are accurate chronologically, uh, be at peace because the Gospel writers are taking some liberty and moving things around without their audience expecting it to go in chronological order. So this kind of new way of reading biographies is a new way, relatively speaking. So even moving a story, which is undoubtedly the same account, probably one that was uttered orally because we have essentially the same story but in different, in much different terms. So the same basic idea is happening in Mark and in John but we know it's not coming from the same source necessarily. So it might be from a tradition that comes. It's a demonstration in John of what is to come. It's an inauguration of the, of the power of Jesus in the world, the power that he's going to set things right and restore things to how they were. It's a, it's a showcase that Jesus' life matters alongside of his death and resurrection right at the beginning of his ministry. Someone out loud read these um, nine verses for us.
0: money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here, stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written Deal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So after he raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and
1: they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Thanks, Ted. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He hangs out a lot in Jerusalem and John. He's at Passover. Passover is the feast that commemorates the uh, exodus of the, uh, the Israelites leaving their Egyptian oppressors, and they're remembering the story again, as you may know, the freeing of the Israelites. Passover wasn't always a pilgrimage feast. In other words, not everyone. You you didn't always travel to observe it. Um, But in the, uh, when it's first mentioned anyway. But in the Old Testament, there's a a thread, at least in a a certain theological thread among a certain group of writers about centralizing the Jewish community under one temple. um, Largely in order to combat assimilation and uh, dilution of the Jewish faith. Their interest was to maintain their own ethnic identity as it connected to their faith and not be too influenced by all of the competing um, ancient Near Eastern uh, religions. So you know how Cory Booker is kind of corroding at your faith in, in a way that you might not be aware of, right? Something's happening to who we are, what we believe, because we live in this time and place. The Jewish people were very concerned about not receiving that influence and thus they had a centralized place to worship And Passover became a pilgrimage feast observed in Jerusalem, like the festival of booths and weeks and so on, right? A few others happened in Jerusalem. So again, Jesus is in Jerusalem here as a Jewish person, ready to worship and observe the feast. And he notices something weird is happening in the temple. It seems to be getting commercialized, to use a modern-day term. By buying and selling animals, the temple was transformed, as he put it, from his father's house. This is the first time Jesus calls God Father in John, into a, into a house of trade, into a marketplace. And so the, 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 the character of the temple, the symbol for God, of God, where God dwelled, God's dwelling place, the Father's house, is at stake, and it was caught up in this sort of worldly economy. Now, I, before you jump to um, what, what I would say would be like an anti-capitalist reading of this, which would be tempting for many of us, um, bear with me. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus is using ceremonial washing jars to make water to wine. And the implication here is that, and this this will be made clear later in the book, that it's his blood represented by the wine that will purify us and purify the world. It's again a retelling of the same story. And here he drives out the money changers in order to purify the temple and restore its sanctity. It's important to note that Keeping the temple pure is his main goal. He has a high regard for the temple. And really, up until until he responds to their question for a sign, he is really about maintaining the, the integrity of the temple. He's not hostile toward the sacrificial system on its own. And the sacrificial system that the Jews are engaging in right here at the temple, is, uh, is, the, is the basis for this kind of exchange. He's noting that it's been corrupted, not that it's fundamentally flawed. Because of the pilgrimage, because people are, are coming from all over the region to Jerusalem to worship, they don't bring their sacrifices with them because they can't bring their cattle and their sheep and their doves or whatever they're going to sacrifice on their trip with them and so when they get to the market, get to the temple, they buy, they buy the sacrifices. That's how it works. But there's also money changers sitting at the table. Why is there money changers? Because they're coming in with a variety of foreign currencies and they need a common currency to actually exchange in the economy. And so you have money changers that just take your foreign currency and give you back the common Roman one that would work at the time. So now you can have this uh, you ha- you exchange that makes sense so you can proceed with your sacrifice. So they simply bought it at the temple and the money changers were there to help them get to a common cur- currency. And then people could use their money to buy animals. Right? That's the idea. The system isn't fundamentally flawed, but it was corrupted. It wasn't corrupted just because people were being exploited. And even then, that's, a, that's almost a stretch. We don't find a lot of a, um, rationale for explicit exploitation, economic exploitation of people. Jesus opposes business happening right in the temple's courts because it seems to be changing the character of the court from a father's house to a bank. Um, There's an intensely political process in selecting these high priests and concentrating power. Among the few that benefited Rome. Something like that is happening here. And Jesus is going to be suspicious of the ruling uh, Jewish authority. And so his, his, his very combative behavior, as you can see, he's just picking up their money and just throwing it around and flipping over tables. And he somehow made a weapon. And he was, uh, he was driving them out. So this is really theatrical. And so it's a really memorable display. No wonder they kept repeating it, by the way. No wonder it's in both uh, the Synoptic Gospels and John's Gospel, because it's so uh, dramatic. Jesus is resisting this centralized power and, 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 and then even moves to saying more than just purifying the temple, maybe, maybe we'll have to destroy it too. What's the sign you're going to give us, they ask him. And the disciples remember then, he quotes the psalmist saying, zeal for your house will consume me, zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus takes on the role of being the psalmist and utters that psalm. And so Jesus' love for the temple, love for the Father, love of his tradition is what moves him to act. And then when he gets poked again, well, ask me for a, what's the the sign? Because they probably missed, somehow, the wedding that had just happened where he turned water into wine and, and showed them kind of the biggest sign he could. He says, he uses himself as the example. He says, destroy this temple, he says, and I'll restore it in three days. Now, this is, this is also a very aggressive statement because these people have been, have been uh, heavily taxed in order to resurrect another temple. It's taken 46 years to build the temple. So far, it's not even done yet, and you're saying we're, you're going to destroy it. This was supposed to be our, our national mark. This is our identity, and you're saying you're destroying it. He's offended at the symbol that's happening there, how it's overtaking God and coming to realize who he will be for the people. No, I am now. I am now the locus of God's activity. I will I I will die and be resurrected and the whole world is going to change. And I think Jesus is being a little bit coy here because he's using figurative language to describe himself right in the temple precincts, right? Right right there calling himself a temple. So it's confusing. And I would say he's probably actually confusing them for a reason. And so then John gives you this little editorial note at the bottom explaining what it actually meant. No, he was referring to his body, and by the time he resurrects, his disciples are going to remember it. So just, just in case you were freaking out that he was going to destroy the temple, that isn't really what happened, although it would happen eventually. So in a sense, Jesus is coming here to set things right and to set things new. And I, I, I hope that you can really see the revolution that Jesus is causing, one that disrupts how the world works and how it is, has come to work and restores power back to God. You can read this passage and probably take away a lot of uh, uh, things you find ideologically convenient or appealing to you in your time and place. I think that's OK. And I think people have read it that way for a long time, and I think we should read the Bible that way. Um, For me, fundamentally, the issue that's at hand is who is in power and Jesus is declaring it is he who is. The revolution, the hope of the world starts with Jesus. Jesus is with us and we are demonstrating God's reign over the world by being the church. This is what we're doing by even gathering together by being a body. It's a new way of thinking, new way of knowing. a New way of doing that God offers us when god is with us and it offers us a a hope that we desire it fulfills that hope that we desire the church can and should be a tool for transmitting that hope and sharing it we can share a whole new way of doing things he enters the temple in order to purify it and restore power back to god to take it away from politically appointed high priests you know, we, we started by seeing this video of Cory Booker and talking about it. And like I said before, I saw some sort of messianic hope in that video that I knew Jesus could only deliver. You know, I'm I'm reluctant to assign too much power or responsibility to anyone but Jesus, the true Messiah, to offer us that hope. So as we enter into this season, be careful that they don't steal that opportunity. Give it back to Jesus. And I'm not even saying, you know, I'm, I'm not making a big statement here, you know, as you repent on your way to the voting booth. Just make sure they're not taking it all from you and that you actually move and think, you know, Jesus is the agent that will change the world, through me even. I want, I want to move you to, to see clearly that the, world, that the world is hoping for something better, that they desire something more. Um... And, 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 and I think you can read this passage and even, even hear me talking and say the only thing that Jesus is offering me is uh, in, uh, economic or political salvation, as it were. And I think the gospel definitely has those ramifications. But it has more than that, too. It has existential hope. Hope that no political apparatus can give you. Personal hope. Hope for your life now. Hope for our lives now. You know, an antidote to loneliness, depression, disenfranchisement, sadness even. So even if you just feel more known and more loved because you're participating here, that's really good in a world where people don't feel like that quite often. So again, I don't think a better economic form or political apparatus offers us that in totality. The gospel is personal and global individual and cosmic there's nothing it doesn't touch you individually all of creation the most daring thing I'll say is that God is with us now and with you now you are the bearer because of your relatedness to God of the hope of the world Jesus Christ we're holding Jesus together and we share that that means when people get to know you they get to know the author of hope Jesus, through you. That's you. That's no one else. You can offer hope to someone. And from someone else, you can receive hope. So I hope, I pray that our, our, our community can, can be a source of hope for the region. Keep sharing it. Keep turning the tables. You know, keep emptying the bags for the money changers. Keep restoring and redeeming the world. You have the gift to do it. I think because you, because of your relatedness to God, because of how God has fulfilled desire in you and in others, you have a keen sense of that desire and how Jesus fulfills it. So you're, you're anointed to do this work. Let's pray and do some talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for being here and for being faithful and present to us. Keep showing us how you will employ us and turn the world upside down and showing the world uh, who, who truly reigns over it. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.